Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. In fact, some of the my favorite beer that I've had there is from our guest today, Vanish Farm Woods Brewery, the the um, mango smoothie that you guys did was absolutely amazing. I love that beer. Thank you. So we have Jonathan Staples, owner and founder, and Larry, Larry Palmerantz, the brewmaster. Yeah, thanks so for the, having us. Oh, thank you so much for coming out. So first I want to add, um, you live in Frederick. Yes. And so what made you want to open a brewery in Virginia? Or is it, were there specific reasons or was it? Well, it was, it was pretty unplanned, actually. Um, uh, I have a, have a small distillery in Richmond called James River Distillery and was uh, in the middle of opening um, Guar Bar with the band Guar, which is very exciting <laughs> yeah. as a childhood groupie to be opening a bar with the band was really fun. It's I didn't know about that. That's it's cool. It's in Richmond, Virginia, and it's as awesome as you would imagine it would be. <laughs> And um, my, uh, uh, my daughter was taking riding lessons in Virginia. She was seven then. And uh, we would pass by this, this farm. And so I drove up and just for fun, not really thinking anything would happen. And uh, we made this offer, but it was slated to be a big housing development. So we thought, well, yeah, we can't not compete gonna with that. Yeah. And um, – then they called me four months later and said the people's financing had been held up and zoning was delayed and was I still interested? And so I said yes. So I bought it and my initial plan was to grow hops for a gin we were making in Richmond. Our distiller was using hops for the floral notes in a gin. And um, I talked to the state of Virginia. They were very encouraging, but I realized there was no uh, hops industry because there's no one processing hops. So we talked to the uh, Loudoun County Economic Development, Kelly Hinkle, and then they connected us to the governor's office of Virginia. And they were really enthusiastic about the idea of um, sort of jump-starting the hops industry in the region. And then Solomon Rose from Organarchy came and worked on it with us. And so uh, Virginia gave us the money to jumpstart that process. Oh, awesome. So we built the processing facility before we had any hops to process. Um, over half the hops we process now are from Maryland. So that's really a cool thing for the region. Tying it back into... And, uh, but then once we did that, so we have five acres of hops, but we realized the, um, that that wasn't going to be enough to pay the mortgage on the farm. So I would say five I, acres of that's actually that's five a substantial of, amount a, of hops, right? It's a big farm, and it's a, it's a lot of hops relative yeah. to the. I mean, not on the west coast, yeah, but, but, but like for coast. around this area, that, for sure. That's a and at substantial that point, amount dedicated to hops. I think it was the biggest one at that point. They're bigger ones now, and um, so Virginia just passed their farm brewery legislation, which is pretty groundbreaking as far as the ability to create a sustainable brewery on a farm. Uh, Licking Hole Creek had pushed that from Richmond. Uh, if you haven't had their beer, it's amazing. And uh, so I was out one night, and I walked into the bar at Volt, and Jim Caruso from Flying Dog was at the bar, and I was talking about the hops and the Virginia's Farm Brewery, and he was really enthusiastic. He said, you should totally do it. We'll see what's in involved and start working on it. And 
So through the whole process, Flying Dog was super helpful. Um, after we got our license and started working on it, um, they allowed us people from Flying Dog to come work on our project at night. They introduced me to Larry. And um, so even though we're in Virginia, we're a very much Frederick, Frederick operation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, about half the people who work at the brewery are in Maryland. Obviously, I'm in Maryland. Larry's in Maryland. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. The, I had just seen a couple times where Kevin Addix, the executive director of the Brewers Association of Maryland, was talking about someone who lives in Frederick, but I understand there's another brewery in Virginia owned by someone that lives in Frederick that didn't want to open in Maryland because of the legislation, so decided to, um, but he never says who it is, but decided to open Virginia. So you were more of, it wasn't that Maryland wasn't attractive to you for you want, what you wanted to do, it was just very opportunistic to do it in Virginia. Well, Yes, it, well, it was there. It's 20 minutes from the Rosemont exit in Frederick. So really, it's, yeah, it's faster than Urbana from yeah. Frederick. And oh, it's such an easy drive to get right down there. And, um, and I'm, I'm born in Richmond, so I pass by it all the way, driving home to see my family. And uh, the, um, I, I mean, as a beer drinker, the sort of the, the Potomac's an artificial divide to me that whether it's from RAR or Aslan or that – the beer that's from around here is, I think we have a distinctive beer culture that's yeah. not just Frederick and not just Maryland. It's the DC, mid Atlantic, mid -Atlantic. Delmarva. Exactly. I'd agree. And that, and that the, um, uh, that, you know, we're a third of our, our guests, customers come from Maryland, even though we're in Virginia, which we're really proud of. And because we're literally three miles over the bridge. Yeah. And so your background is you're pretty much just a serial entrepreneur. I, I think I'm just kind of ADD, um, and uh, my um, it seems to have served yeah. you very well. Um, I, I think I think you know the the uh, um, uh, what I've always done and and am doing now is trying to create something that was a place I would want to go. When Larry and I were first talking about how we imagined Vanish being, um, I was ahead of that point. My wife and I have seven kids. Larry had. One and another. One on the way. One on yeah. the way. Mm -hmm. You got some work to catch but up. Larry's young. <laughs> Larry's young. He's got a lot of energy. So, um, but that um, the uh, um, the idea of a place that was had lots of different experiences, where you could go with three friends and, and really focus on the beer, or you could come with your family, and that the idea of creating a place where you didn't feel weird if you brought kids or your dog or if you didn't really know a lot about beer at first. And that was kind of our shared idea of what we wanted to do. Um, I love heavy metal. My initial idea was to play Mastodon and things like that, and we realized pretty quickly that wasn't going to work. Yeah, so it might, <laughs> might not have the same mass Some of your dreams you it. have to give up. <laughs> um, but that the, uh, um, the idea of what we wanted to create a place we would go with the beers we would want to drink. In in I guess w what you haven't described yet though is how massive the the location is at this point. Like you've you've pretty much been at a this is a constant expansion, right? Like adding on to we when we first started, I told Larry my vision was that it was that it was going to be a ten year construction project, and that we would constantly be reinvesting money and building out and expanding because. Um, 
it was hard to know at that moment what the guests would want, how we would feel two years forward, and how the world would change. And so we've been, yes, we're now, we have um, just under four acres of drinking area now. We, yeah, seat, we seat 600. Yeah, I love that uh, Larry, <laughs> when I was talking to Larry once, he was like, yeah, we're one of the few places that list our uh, our seat, our tasting room area and acres instead of uh square footage, square footage. Yeah. um we uh, um and and i think part of that from my view is that if you decide to drive to us or any uh, drive to us i want to we wanted to make sure you were able to come in get a beer and have a space to be and, it, and what's kind of cool is it it's it's almost being in several distinct different places too like there mm-hmm. you have the the bar brewery area that and then you have dogtown the an in fully enclosed area that's very different from being in the bar area then you have the whole open air pavilion area and then just massive just outdoor seating area like it, it you could everywhere you go and sit it's like being almost at a different place and i think that was part yeah. of what we'd hope to create. Oh, you definitely yeah. succeeded then. The things it's, that it's it, great. I think that uh, Secrets is a good example of a place where there are lots of things you'd say, well, okay, that was cool when I was 22. But the idea of Secrets has all these different places you can go and that it's just fun and interesting. And um, we also perceived it that we could create a place where we raise our own bees. We raise the chickens. If you get barbecue, the chickens live in the hops field. Oh, wow. I didn't and know. And that uh, to create, to the extent we could, a self-sustaining world. And uh, in you had touched on a little bit that it, it, wanting it to be a place where you can take kids. And it absolutely is. It's one of the – it's definitely it's – for how large it is, you can take your family there and not annoy anyone. You can just go to the area where all the other families when the kids are and then the people who want nothing to do with kids being around can stay in the... Yeah, still have a comfortable yeah. bar seat while the kids are outside playing on the playground, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. And yeah, and I mean, I was there before you even had the playground in and my mm-hmm. kids had a great time and not once did we hear, can we go yet, can we go yet? Well, uh, the plans we have for next spring is we're going to expand the children's area. We're adding two um, gaga pits. Anyone who has kids under 10 can tell you how important that will be. And um, a large beach that will be where kids can make sandcastles. Oh, that's awesome. um, And again, the idea of expanding that thing where to have a place where you could go with your children and your children aren't tortured or a place where they love and you're tortured. Yeah. (laughs) To the extent you can, everyone is happy. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's talk about the, the beer we're trying right now real quick. It's the – it's just called Table Beer. Is that the name? Uh, it's the Farmhouse Ale, okay. um, Farmhouse Table Beer that we have on. Um, it's one of our regular staples. Um, we've done a special version, a small batch version of it for the upcoming uh, uh, festival this weekend, the uh, Beaujolais Nouveau. Um, it's a French food and wine festival, uh, along with this and our amber beer, uh, will be at the, uh, the lower pavilion on the farm. Um, so that's going on this weekend. If, uh, if you're a lover of all things French, it's, uh, going to be a fantastic time. We welcome you out. And so that's another thing that you've focused on a lot too, is events. And even as being a place that people can rent out for events, um, has that become a large part of what you're doing too? Um, 
it has. I think that, you know, we, we joke about, uh, I would say, you know, if it's your second marriage, it makes sense. You could do that at a winery. But when you're <laughs> young and excited about life and it's your first marriage, of course it should be at a brewery. <laughs> um, but that the idea of um, uh, we, have, we have the pavilion that's on a pond with a stream. We have a, a, a pool and a pool house. I think we're the only brewery that I know of that has a swimming pool. Um, and uh, which next time you come out, you'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, but the idea of, of you're being able to, to create the event you want. We're really uh, proud of the fact that several brewers have already had their uh, weddings there. Yeah, Old Mother, just re- Keith from Old Mother so just great. recently. And that, um, and that was a great thing for us is the people that do things that, that we really respect their beer and the way they approach their thing that they wanted to have their wedding with us. And what you were saying uh, earlier, which I think is a great marketing point, is that you have a 100% success rate with uh, all the weddings that have... I said to Keith, I said, please keep our streak alive. No divorces <laughs> from any marriage we've had. So, yes. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I think it's only been a couple months since the last time I was there. And from the description, it's like it's a completely different place already. There's been so many things added in that short time frame. Um, what do you have any like down the road further ideas of what you want to add or is it, are you, is it just organically as the time comes, you're like, yeah, we need this now. Or do you have a whole roadmap of what you want to do with? Um, I, I think that, uh, we have, we have more things we plan on adding for guests, more pavilions, more areas. Um, the thing that I'm most excited about, I think Larry's the most excited about is, we're adding um, a 5,000 square foot uh, barrel aging facility that will oh, have its own tasting room. So Larry can give a better description of what mm. that yeah, let's yeah, talk actually, about that now. I, now, a funny thing is I actually had a bottle set aside for you I forgot to bring. Oh. <sighs> but um, this means you have to come out and visit, Chris. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, um, so I've been dabbling for many, many years in, uh, in sour barrel aged beers, um, multicultural, um, mixed culture fermentations. And, um, I've got, uh, got one right now that I'm just absolutely in love with. Uh, it was a collaboration with, uh, Black Narrows Brewing Company who will be opening up on the Eastern shore of Virginia. Um, Josh Chapman and I have been friends for a little while, and he's getting ready to uh, open up out there. We did a 100% barrel uh, fermentation uh, with uh, lactobacillus and a couple of Brett strains in there, aged it for a full year, and then pulled it out, put it on local peaches, and we just moved it in the Bright Tank last week. We debuted it at a festival called November Fest in D.C., um, but, uh, but we'll be, uh, we'll be going to packaging and releasing soon. I haven't set a date on that one yet. So I have to keep a, uh, keep an eye out on our, uh, Facebook page and whatnot for the, for the details on that one, but I'll drop you a bottle. I love how, um, it seems to be at least a lot lately where that with the collaborative nature of craft breweries, a craft brewery can be in the planning for a year and, People have been exposed to them that time because they've already done like Checker Spot in Virginia have done collaborations with all kinds of breweries. So their name's already out there by the time they open. It's not like, well, who are these guys? What are they about? They've already been mm-hmm. exposed to everyone at that point. So it's really cool that you did it. You did the collaboration with a brewery and planning. Yeah. And um, Tim Scout, 
uh, Scouting from Gunda said that you guys have the best stickers in the beer game. <laughs> I'm hoping. Well, I mean, they're they're all pretty cool, but uh, the original um, glow in the dark ones he probably picked up when we hosted an MB, uh, Master Brewers Association meeting uh, this past spring. So that's probably the one he's referring to. I wonder if the I have. Were they that same basically one? Uh, they they'd, be the, they'd be oh, the branches one, okay. glow in the dark, but that one's really that's the skate logo. Okay, that's both, the one I have. These um both of these logos um, uh, Mike Van Hall who does Aslan's labels okay. and he does all of um Stillwater Brian Strumke's labels. He came up with these and they're so radically different. It's hard to imagine, believe the same guy. Yeah, came it was up it, with both. Like... Um, but he uh, um he did that uh for us and it they're just awesome we just love them so that okay i, I can't believe i almost forgot uh, where did the name vanish come from um the farm as i said earlier it, the financing for the people who were going to buy it and make it a housing development it fell through and as we went through thinking of names and what we wanted to create um the idea that's ever present with something like this is that if we failed everything that was there would vanish and it would become hop acres or whatever the subdivision would have been called. Yeah. So that's where it came from is that uh, all farms, if you drive down 15 from Maryland into Leesburg, all of that will vanish one day if we don't, if people don't figure out other things to do than build houses. So that was where the name came from. And that's it was kind cool. of mysterious and cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it worked. So. I also, I liked when you were on shelfies and, um, Curtis did the vanishing oh, special yeah, effect yeah. A, a few times on you guys. Yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. We we hope one day to be able to uh, export to Britain because the number one brand selling toilet cleaner in Britain is called Vanish. <laughs> Perfect. So we yeah. thought it would be Let's very ironic. On the shelf, uh, right <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they don't uh, send you a cease and desist or something and <laughs> well we, we, we I, I talked to a lawyer he said you know the the whole point of the cease and desist is any uh, attempt at confusion he said yeah i don't think anyone's it's gonna, gonna be, be confused hard for by <laughs> hopefully no one will think you're trying to confuse the brands yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so do you have plans at some point do you want to start canning or bottling or do you want to stay um direct sales and with distribution just at bars um, I, I think it, it's sort of a two-part thing. We do plan on, on bottling and okay. canning, but it would Wait, be... Because you do do some bottling right. now, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. bomber, bombers. Bombers and the crowlers and growlers, of course. But I think our, our, our goal is always going to be to be... Um, that would be a, for guests to buy mm -hmm. at the brewery, but um, our, our, we don't have any plans on having any big distribution push. We really, um, you know... I, of course, Larry. I never want to speak if I'm oh, if I'm saying something. Uh, no, you're right. No. But our, our, I think our view is a lot of the beers we make um, are ones that are best fresh. Yeah, and, definitely. And so. I think that it, you know that if you go into distribution, that's really hard because you don't know how long it's been on the shelf, and that the able ability to control the guest experience so it's the way we would want it to be is something that's really a big driver for both of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think almost. Everything I've had of yours so far would not be a beer that you want you, that you would want to lose control of how how it's distributed and yeah. how, how 
quickly people were drinking. I've, it. I've spent a long time in uh, in, in brew pubs and very short. Uh, distribution channel uh means of getting the product uh to our guests and that's one of my favorite lines honestly is that i love the uh i love the very short distribution channel it literally is 20 feet from this side of the walk-in to this side of the bar you know so it's as, as as short as a draft line um and i honestly really like it that way and let's uh, take a real quick break to thank Roast House Pub for their support of the Uncapped podcast. Uh, November 15th, they'll be having their Trokes Tap Takeover, which they're going to have another, um, what I'm expecting to be an amazing beer with mango in it, their Scratch Series uh, Double IPA. And they'll have bottles of Mad Elf Grand Cru. And then November 30th, uh, someone we were just talking about, Jailbreak and monument will be participating in the mom's spaghetti dinner have you guys ever done that with them no oh uh, yeah not. you'll have to so yeah. that's when he has two brewers uh breweries come in and they battle over i think at one time it may have included them providing the recipes but now it's just like they have pasta meals specials and stuff but it's mainly it's a battle of who sells the most beer that evening oh, so it's like a, mm-hmm. it's like a dual tap takeover and a mm-hmm. battle of well, um, I'm a big bit Jailbreak fan, so I think I'll come in so I can cast my votes for Jailbreak. You should, and uh, uh, Justin Bonner will be there. Um, Even better. And, and <laughs> I think they're working on trying to get the owners of Monument to be there also. So it'd be great to show up that evening. So once again, thank you to Roast House Pub for your support. And so, yeah, you got to talk to Nico about that. You guys would be perfect to participate in one of those battles. Um, so how long have you been distributed in Maryland? Because I remember one of the uh, – actually, I guess it's been actually quite some time since I had the conversation with you mm-hmm. that you were trying to get into Maryland. It's just been a few months. Okay. Um, and it's really just a, a couple of uh, select accounts, uh, select places that are near and dear to us, folks that we know will uh, take care of our beer and promote it in the right way. And, uh, you know, honestly, just uh, – good friends um so you know that's that's pretty much where we're taking it to right now cool we have a we have we um actually end up not having enough beer on site yeah i was just gonna ask that because i i I thought i've heard that before that you guys are struggling to keep up with the demand and and from the few times i've been there the amount of people that are there it makes complete sense that you probably and, are having trouble making as much as that everyone's drinking. So it, it's this really terrific problem, of yeah. course. But that we ended up, I, I think when Larry and I talked about it, we're like, well, what bars do you like to go drink beer at? And so we wanted the beer to be at bars we go to. Yeah, and that was kind perfect. of how we, and Roast House, of course, was right up at the top. And uh, White Rabbit, JoJo's, and Family Meal are the places we really focus on because they're places we go. Okay, so it, the only place in Maryland is in Frederick that you're... And Poolsville. Um, and Poolsville. Oh, yeah, could you, yeah, I've, yeah, I have seen him post things Which, for... Which, based on our location, is right over the river. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you just have to go really roundabout to, to get there. Unless we do it by <laughs> boat. Take yeah. the ferry. <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah, there is the ferry. Um, but that I think for our distribution plans, that would be... We would distribute to places we would go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, which completely makes sense when you're having trouble just providing your own uh, tap room with enough beer. 
So what what size brew house do you have now? Um, we have a 10 barrel. It's a uh, 1996 built JB Northwest. Uh, so it's been around. Um, turned 21 this year. So, oh, wow. You know, um, but uh, but yeah, it's a 10 barrel that uh, has been around at uh, several brew pubs and whatnot in eastern Pennsylvania. We picked it up from Lancaster Brewery uh, okay. when they built up to a 30 barrel system. Um, so we got it and then brought it in. Um, we've added uh, several tanks, including a you know fairly large uh, cellar expansion uh, this past spring. Uh, so we actually were able to um, increase our cellar capacity by 150 percent, um, which has definitely helped to alleviate some of those uh, you know some of those uh, running out of beer woes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, it, it's definitely we're we're rolling. We're we're cranking a lot of beer, and uh, and, and folks seem to enjoy it. So and and what I'd say to again to praise Larry on this, we have eighteen beers on draft, and so Larry's producing Working a lot. with that, <laughs> but producing with that. And I his have team, a great team that does. Um, but a it's lot an of amazing thing to have that many beers on tap with the system yeah. and the demand we have each week in sales. And it, so probably having a ten barrel system helps a lot with you being able to do that because if not you would just end up with much more of fewer varieties mm-hmm. and then yeah yeah um, it's more work for being, you but being, being small um and honestly in the very early days we started out making basically 10 barrel batches and then diversifying them splitting them into multiple fermenters making okay. different split batches off of it turning one wort into several different beers it's a lot of fun uh really cool stuff when we developed several of our um uh daily go-tos um with that you know things like our tangerine white is the you know kettle soured with tangerine added version of our wraith white so they originally started out as a as a single mash split two ways and now we're making 20 barrel batches of each of them um and they've just kind of taken on their own personalities what's your most popular beer um, I would say our most popular beer is our flagship IPA, Ghost Fleet. Um, got one right here if you're interested in pouring it. Yeah, I was just going to ask you uh, <laughs> what you wanted to go to next, so thank you for saving me the question. Um, you want to tell us about tell us about it while um um, sure, sure. So this is um, this is a, a beer that's developed. Um, you know the. Uh, we we started out originally with just a couple of base recipes, you know, kind of kind of letting um, customer base tell us what they were into, kind of give us feedback, and we've developed this uh, New England style IPA that uh, is just hugely hoppy. Um, we are we're well over three pounds per barrel of uh, of uh, Simcoe Centennial Amarillo hops on this, and uh, it's just. It uh, has a lot of wheat. It has that, you know, characteristic cloudiness to it. Um, but uh, but it's really all about the soft mouthfeel and the generous use of late edition hops. Yeah, this is delicious, and the, the nose on it's amazing. Thankfully, everyone I have on, um, I've had on so far, the beers are, and I just poured beer all over my laptop. That's going to work out well. Um, ha, ha, 
everyone right now is making great beer and so it makes this so much easier on me because <laughs> <laughs> i could only imagine if how difficult this would be if they were not yeah i really like that so is this do your re- are your recipes evolving over time or is this pretty close to when you first um i first think everything this? i think everything kind of evolves a little bit um we've also kind of scaled it up a little bit you know but um this one we're making a, a lot of right now um and uh and i think it's essentially just kind of evolved to meet feedback from guests and and uh you know just seems to seems to fit the bill so with your location do you have um do do you have a lot of regulars or is yours more of a tourist location honestly it's kind of a mix um I honestly, Although with I, a sea of people, it's probably hard to even uh, tell. <laughs> I, I honestly never really thought that we would have a lot of regulars. And then as we opened, I really started to see, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There really are a lot of nearby housing developments. There's a lot of folks that on both sides of the river, Point of Rocks, um, even, you know, going on a little further, we have a lot of guests that live in Jefferson, Brunswick area. But then, you know, um, there's a lot of folks that live in subdivisions all around Luckett's and getting into Leesburg. So, yeah, we have we have a lot of very familiar faces and some favorite folks. We love I, I to think see part day. of that and sorry, part of that, too, is we're, we're open seven days a week from 12 till between six and nine, depending on the night. So we end up being. Even Welcome. people popping in on a We're commute a place back when to... you get home from work, you can come in for a beer. And we have people that can walk from the n- neighboring houses. We have people that walk over. And some of them, they're, one of their daughters comes over and says, Daddy, Mommy says you have to come home. You're not <laughs> answering your phone. Um, but that uh, uh, we're also, for Point of Rocks, um, we're five miles away. And in fact, the only pizza that's delivered to Lavacat's area comes from Point of Rocks. Oh. <laughs> so we're sort of one town between us and Point of Rocks anyway. Yeah. So we have a lot of people from Point of Rocks who are in frequently. Um, and uh, from once you leave Leesburg, going towards the Point of Rocks Bridge, there's a lot of people, and there's not that much to do between there and the Point of Rocks Bridge. So you've become the default destination to have fun. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that was part Take of our, our goal was – I mean, I fell in love with Luckett's once I was there. And to we've worked really hard to be the town center. We're building a children's library there for the uh, with the Luckett's elementary PTA at the brewery. Oh, that's and awesome. And to, to – we have – you know, and so we have people that come in during the week and work from the brewery because we have Wi-Fi. Um, so we're, we – our goal was to be a community place that doesn't – didn't exist in Luckett's until we – started working on this, and that's a great thing for us. The, the Luckett's Homeschools, uh, Loudoun Homeschool Association comes in on some afternoons with all the kids, and then the kids play, and the moms and the dads who are in the Homeschool Association can hang out and have a beer and talk about school. Um, so we've become, as, what, as was our goal, sort of the a big part of the town and to yeah, create like a sense a of a place. A hub for the community. Yeah, which breweries were a hundred years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what all are you growing and raising on the farm? 
because you had listed other things too. You have hops, so we have hops and bees. Bees. Um, the chickens. The chi- chickens. Yeah, mm-hmm. We're putting in a, a pawpaw and an apple orchard next spring. Um, and then we're building a brewer's garden, uh, which we tend to do this year, but we're so slammed we didn't get yeah. around to. It's one step at a time. Yeah. Um, so so that would be like spices and like basically anything mm-hmm. that can but, go yeah, into. Yeah, chilies would be great one. Nice. Right, and then um, we have a large flock of wild turkeys that live on the farm and walk through the parking lot and are kind of mean. Occasional <laughs> bald eagle. I've bald seen bald numerous eagles. bald eagles out there. My uh, my grandfather had a turkey on his farm, and it hated dogs. And every once in a while when we would take my – like we had this little annoying chihuahua, and he would chase that turkey around, but every once in a while it would stop and just whack the dog with one of its wings and send them flying. So they are mean and powerful. <laughs> they are. I learned that. From, I'd never had any real farm experience. And I, there's that. I learned that um, uh, groundhogs can become rabid. I've learned a lot of interesting things through this process. Um, so of the beers that Larry produces, what's your favorite? Um, I, Ghost Fleet. For me, um, I, I I loved um, I I had I came up with the name because the Ghost Fleet is the largest underwater uh, fleet of sunken ships in the world, and it's right outside of the MGM Casino in the Maryland in the Potomac. Um, and so, if you ever look online or, or can you can go there and kayak, there's just hundreds of ships from World War One that are sunk in the water there, huh. and it's called the Ghost Fleet in Mallows Bay. In Mallows Bay. And so that's where the name came from. And um, is like to build an artificial reef or no, that's uh, just where they. So a, a quick 30 second version. Yeah. This is before EPA and environmental rules. Um, <laughs> they built a large amount of ships in World War One that were in, in essence disposable ships because the German submarines were sinking so many. OK, so they built these ships really cheaply and they were designed to be if they sink, they sink. And then the war ended. So there were hundreds of these giant ships that were built and they weren't worth anything except the metal that was on the ships for salvage so a fellow in alexandria bought them and took them into the potomac and then set them all on fire because that was the way to get to the metal without having to bother with the wood (laughs) (laughs) so there never will be a ghost fleet like this at least in america (laughs) and uh so if you go there it's It's just amazing amazing. horrible things we used and so (laughs) the guy or i assume it was a guy the people went and they salvaged the little bits of metal <laughs> and just left it. They're like, and they went back to Alexandria and it's just sat there all this time. It's now a, um, an, a park, so it can't be disturbed, but you can kayak through there and stand on the boats and there are trees growing out of the boats. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. It's a nature sanctuary and preserve area now. But it had such a horrible beginning, but it became something <laughs> yeah. beautiful. That's one of the things I love this podcast in breweries and distilleries in general is that so many of you have just have taught me amazing history lessons in the process of telling me about your breweries and that that's appalling the ways we used to get rid of garbage (laughs) so larry you have had an extensive career in uh brewing do you what been here and there it's a little more than here and there Uh. 
when did when did you start brewing? Oh, all right. Well, I guess I'm gonna give you kind of the uh, abbreviated version here. Um, but uh, now, basically, I started brewing in 1999. Um, I was in culinary school in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, there wasn't really much of a beer scene back then. Uh, there was actually a state law uh, ABV cap at 6% ABV. So all beer over 6% was illegal. Half the things on this table, yeah, I, mean, I, fact, there's I think one, we'd have the one table beer, beer you'd be that able we to could sell. drink. <laughs> um, and, um, and whether it was made in the state or not, it was illegal. Um, anyway, so I was in culinary schools taking a class on beverage management. My uh, professor's husband came in with her and uh, said, okay, we're now getting to the section on beer, um, and today we're going to make a stout in class. And I'm like, okay, ears perked up. I've always been interested in food science. I grew up originally in Michigan, where third grade we went to the Kellogg's factory, and so I've always wanted to like make breakfast cereals for a living. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that uh, I've always been very interested in food science and uh, the idea of beer, uh, beer brewing uh, kind of uh, struck me Let me interject me real quick, and how ironic is that one of the places that you previously brewed beer at now makes multiple, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. multiple beers, uh, that made, off of which Kellogg's. are really yeah. awesome. Uh-huh. Oh, they're yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, that's all right. Eric's doing fantastic <laughs> work over there. Um and uh, so anyways, uh, I started home brewing right around then, 1999, um, and then uh, really couldn't afford it as I was a student slash uh, working in, uh, in a professional kitchen, really didn't have a lot of cash. So I wanted to build more equipment, et cetera. Um, I got a job at a local homebrew shop where I basically just worked for store credit. Um, so essentially would kind of get my brewing fixed that way, you know, like work off the, work off the, uh, equipment. And, um, so then would, um, was homebrewing for a number of years and I said, you know what, I really want to do this professionally, but there's nothing, nobody around there would hire me without any professional experience, et cetera. Um, there really just wasn't a whole lot of places to apply to. Um, so anyways, I said, well, I found myself in between jobs, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go work on this Hawaiian cruise ship in Hawaii. And I signed on with uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines in Hawaii, and they sent me to Piney Point, Maryland, to train to get my uh, – um, you have to get a, a American-flagged cruise ship uh, you know, certificate, a Merchant Mariner card. So anyways, I was in Piney Point, Maryland, training to go work in Hawaii when a buddy of mine said, look, I'm, you know, I was talking to him. He on back on MySpace, dating myself, <laughs> right? So, anyways, uh, so he's like, um, he was in the military, uh, in the army, out in uh, Fort Carson, which is uh, near Colorado Springs. And uh, so, anyways, he's like, you know, I'm getting deployed to Iraq. My wife is going back home uh, to North Carolina to live with her mother during my deployment, and our house is going to be sitting empty. Why don't you move out here? There's lots of brewery jobs. Like, okay, I literally packed up my stuff, jumped ship from Piney Point, <laughs> hitchhiked to catch literally a bus. Literally jumped ship. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and uh, went back to uh, went back to Charlotte. Uh, grabbed my pickup truck, which had had, had stored there, um, and then uh, basically packed a duffel bag, my Basset Hound, my guitar, a homebrew kit, and drove across the country. So uh, it's first drive across the country. Um, then, so I wound up out there, um, 
cutting seafood at Whole Foods in a landlocked state. And, go <laughs> figure. and um, then got my feet wet at Bristol Brewing in Colorado Springs. Um, worked my way up from there. Um, when Matt Brophy, a flying dog, uh, called me uh, because I had put in an application with Flying Dog, and I then moved up to Denver to their Denver facility. I was their graveyard brewer in Denver uh, for about a year and a half uh, while I was also cooking at Coors Field, uh, the major league ballpark yeah. for the Colorado Rockies, uh, which was about uh, two blocks down the street. So anyways, uh, yeah, so... There during the 2007 World Series, lost the Red Sox. <laughs> to be a guy to be happy about that, but you know, anyways. Uh, anyways, I digress. The point is, um, so I was working there when uh, they decided um, you know, we're going to close the Denver brewery, move everything east to the new facility where they had just purchased from the Frederick Brewing Company. So, um, knowing that I was going to basically be out of a job, um, unless I found something there in Denver, I'm like, you know what? I'll go give this a shot. We visited out here. It's like, this place pretty all right, you know? So um, I love, love, love Colorado. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to be back in six months. <laughs> this coming January is going to be 10 years. Um, so I literally got out here fell in love with Frederick. Um, I met my now wife and fell in love again. And I'm just, you know, uh, really, really thrilled to be, you know, a, a 10 years now a Fredericktonian. Um, so anyways, um, continued on with Barley, I mean, with uh, Flying Dog here in their new facility here in Frederick for a couple of years. Um, and then uh, when my buddy Will Golden had decided it was ready uh, time to go move to Austin and uh, start Austin Beer Works. He let me know, and I wound up uh, moving over to Barley and Hops at that point. So um, Was he at Barley and Hops? He was at Barley and Hops. He was also at Flying Dog, too, at he one was, time, right? He okay. was at Flying Dog. So he worked at Flying Dog during that time um, where uh, Dan Marisluft was the head brewer and um, – then, uh, of course, uh, Kevin um, Blodger was there as well. Um, and then, I mean, talk about a, a, a group of guys. Uh, you got, you know, those three guys right there. But then you also had Jeff Hancock of DC Brow yeah. uh, come in right around that same time. Um, he, had, he, had, he and I worked together for a while. Um, but, yeah, so anyways, when, uh, when Will left to go to um, – Austin, uh, and of course I worked in the cellar with Adam DeBauer, his partner and the president of Austin Beer Works. Um, and uh, so anyways, uh, the, the point is, is that uh, I went over to B&H, um, spent about four and a half years there before uh, Jonathan and I met and started talking about uh, opportunities and what we could do at Vanish. So. But, uh, we yeah. first met at Champions over a Bud Light. Suspicious <laughs> <laughs> beginning. Yeah. You were drinking this a Bud true. Light, Larry? Hey, you That's know. A... Someone else was buying. <laughs> <laughs> Blame it on someone else. It was, it was a working lunch, right? <laughs> you needed to stay uh, tip-top mentally. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have. Yeah. 
So what what's your um, favorite style of beer to brew? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't know that I have one. Um, I love to brew a lot of uh, a lot of things. Uh, I'm honestly, I'd always been a classic styles guy. I love very classic, straightforward styles that um, are, are basically playing the classics. I love to do them to the letter of the law and do them very much to the T. However, I'm really falling in love now with some of these new anti-styles, you know, where you take something and you just completely turn it on its ear. And it's always made a lot of sense because, you know, it's one thing to play classic and pay homage to uh, to the, the forefathers of your past and, you know, kind of do things the way that it's always been done. Um, but then again, you know, Things we're evolve. In the, we're in the we're in the craft brewing yeah. age of America, and we're Americans, damn it! Like we can turn it on its ear, right? So, well, and, and um, that's how jazz got started. Yeah. Well, one of the things. So, um, for the first issue of our magazine, I had sent a bunch of Frederick brewers um, or brewery owners asking them what craft beer meant to them. Almost all of them had some take on it being art. Mm-hmm. So like it it only makes sense. Like art is ever evolving. You put your own stamp. Your own. You don't want to just make a the same thing everyone else has made. So mm-hmm. I think it completely makes sense with the new trends and renaissance of beer that people just you do whatever you want. Who cares if it doesn't match what a style book says how you should make a beer. Mm-hmm. It, it, if it tastes good, who cares what it is? Yeah. When I think on that on that point, if you look at Frederick over the three years since we first bought the farm and where Frederick's brewing community is now, if everybody just made the same styles of beer and stuck to a narrow definition of what beer is, it would be pretty boring. And why would we need multiple breweries doing the same thing? Um, because people have embraced all these different styles and these different ways of doing it, you could have 20 breweries in a town the size of Frederick and have a reason to go to each one because they're doing different things. And um, I think it's an exciting thing about Frederick now versus three years ago. We have such a huge amount of breweries that um, didn't didn't exist then. A lot of them were in formation or just starting. But um, I'm always telling people who come from Maryland to vanish – you really need to check out Loudoun County. We have 24 breweries in this county, and some of them are really amazing. Conversely, I tell people when they come to Vanish from Virginia, you really need to go check out Frederick. Because uh, the beer, the, the, there's so many places to go. It's such a close drive. But getting people to cross the river in either direction is often a challenge. Yeah, it um, is such a mental divide. Like, you just think, it, it's Virginia. That's so far away. <laughs> and and But I've... They're so Loudon is a huge county, and to the extent we can get people from Loudon to come over to Frederick, it'll be huge for Frederick breweries because it's a whole new community of people who um, love great beer, and it's so close. They're, Frederick is much closer to Loudon, parts of Loudon County than other parts of the county are to each other, and so I think to the extent we can help be a bridge between the two counties, we've been really excited about that because. As close as people are, they really don't know each other's scenes at all. Yeah, it's. Oh, I think like what you said that that river, 
causes such a mental divide. It's of, like a Berlin Wall in yeah. some ways. <laughs> and, you know, when you tell people in Frederick, oh, there's all these places in Loudoun, they, they think of Luckett's and everything else as the place you drive through on the way to Dulles Airport. When you tell people in Virginia, they think of Frederick as a place you drive by on the way to Pennsylvania. Yeah. And getting people <laughs> to realize that we really are two places that are so close. Yeah, and they're worth stopping to, not Absolutely just Absolutely worth stopping with, yeah. So actually, I want let's uh, talk about your distillery a little bit because we mm -hmm. also cover distilleries. Mm -hmm. um, what it's James River Distillery. Right. Um, what are you focusing on there? So um, the the when we started, uh, the challenges with whiskey are obviously your aging yeah. and all that sort of thing. So we started with doing gins. So we have uh, three different types of gin. Uh, one with hops, Commonwealth. We're um, all over Virginia, and we're actually, uh, we have pretty good penetration in Baltimore, but our distributor's based in Baltimore. Okay. So Frederick, you know, that's one of my goals for next year is to work on reestablishing our distribution in Frederick. Um, we do uh, an, an Ostervit, which is a, a Aquavit that's rested on oyster shells. Um, huh. And I've it's one of the of only American Aquavits, but it's also, it's the only one in the Virginia ABC shells. But it's the only one in the world, as far as we know, that's... And so it has some salinity and brininess, along with the caraway. Um, we do a rum with two bars in Richmond. We worked on creating this um, uh, um, Demerara rum. And uh, we do a vodka with guar called Arctic <laughs> Snow. You just love guar, don't you? And uh, <laughs> how can... I mean, yeah, I grew up in Richmond. <laughs> and um, so... Um, it's been really interesting. The economics and the way the distillery business works are very different from brewing. You, you can only do the small tastings. Yeah. So, and we're making gins and really mixing spirits. So it, it's really tough because you can't control your guest experience the way you can with a winery or a brewery. In Virginia, can, you s can a distillery sell a cocktail or just no. the tasting? No. The, it's the only place I know of that is allowing that is D.C., Okay. And the advantage of being in in D.C., you can self-distribute. Yeah. You can in Virginia. You have to go through the ABC stores. Okay. And um, uh, Maryland has a lot of laws where we're far behind Virginia yes. as far as – but when it comes to distilled spirits, Maryland is a much more progressive and better place to do it. You can actually distribute it yourself. In Virginia, you can't. Okay. You can only sell to the ABC store. And it's – another thing, it's weird, like – so then to the north – Pennsylvania has they're, they're loosening and making them a little bit better. Super but strange like, rules. Yeah, like right. Like the to buy make it ridiculously hard. You have to go to state stores for liquor and wine, beer distributors, and it, it's gotten a little bit better. But then, like for breweries, it's one of the best places. And right. well, for all three, because it like I think it was either a year or two ago they passed a law. If it's made in Pennsylvania, you can sell it. So if you go to a brewery in Pennsylvania, they can sell wine and spirits made. Which is such an exciting yeah. change. I, I think it, and in Virginia, there's not really a preference for spirits made in Virginia. And there's not really in Maryland either. And there should be because a bottle of whiskey made in Virginia with Virginia ag products by Virginians or the same in Maryland adds so much more to the state than a bottle that's made in Colorado and yeah. trucked in. But the state's treat them are pretty agnostic about it and it never made sense to me they don't act like that way with wine and beer they understand the value add if it's made on site yeah but with distilled spirits i mean in the end it's run by bacardi and guys like that and 
I wonder if they have because it's still a fairly infant industry, like craft distilling, still a very infant industry in this country. So as they they, they're very far behind in the fighting for legislation to help it. And my own personal bias on it was that 20 years ago, most of the beer you could buy in the store was pretty bad and just not a very good product. And most of the stuff that InBev and guys like that put out is just not very good. They, you know, they just don't have to, so yeah. they don't. And that with spirits, you could always get good spirits. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't in the smallest town, in the smallest state, you can still get a good gin. You can still get a good rum. Whereas with beer, you could be in a small town oh, and yeah, you're just sense. drinking Budweiser. Yeah. And so spirits was never just crushed by two or three large international corporations the way that um, – Yeah, and, and even the very large corporations have very good. premium brands. Right. There's no equivalent of Budweiser that just pounds a bad spirit down everyone's throat. Yeah. So spirits was – you never had the challenge you did with beer that where it's you're replacing lousy crap with local. You're replacing good spirits with local, and that's yeah. a much – more much difficult much more difficult challenge that makes sense um so did you ever do home brewing or do you just really like alcohol i really um. like alcohol <laughs> and um the uh, all of my work was on the other side of the bar and now i'd be embarrassed to start trying because i would yeah I, I, so it was all on the other well, side of the bar i i get asked often if i home brew and i used to at one time but no, it, it is so much easier for me just to give my money to uh, people like you guys to give me what I know is going to be a great product instead of me spending my time and money to make something that's not going to taste as good. And, or, and, and I would think when you were doing that, say, five or six years ago, there weren't really very many local options in Frederick. So it would make yeah, sense. Yeah, that's true. There, there were and very few. When you can roll out of bed now, and if you live downtown, you're – with yeah. really within a bike ride of five or six breweries, Midnight Runs opening, I think Thursday. Yeah, and that a lot of the and reason the, you would home from their beers. I don't know if you want to bike home from Midnight Run. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I live right by Hood yeah. College, so I'll be able to walk. I'm yeah. Really, yeah. Uh, and um, it was one of my frustrations with the Droit Theory. It's so far away. I can only have one or one and a half beers because yeah. I have to drive home. Midnight Run. I'll be able to walk. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I'm I'm bummed because I recently moved from that side of town to all the way to the uh, other side. So now, like the E Street corridor is exploding, and I don't live over there anymore. <laughs> so I need to eventually move back. So that means yeah. where you move now will be the next hot spot, right? Hopefully, Since you were at, yeah. you started E Street before yeah. it became big. It's E Street. Cause yeah, I was there before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> and now, ditto. Ditto. Yeah. I was in that neighborhood. The funny thing is we actually used to have a community of brewers a lot centered along North Market and 7th Street. Uh, Will Golden lived on 7th. I lived on North Market two doors up from the Lucky Corner. About four doors up from there is my buddy Matt Adami, who's now working as a head brewer out in San Diego. Um, and then uh, – Keith Core of where DACA okay. lived a, a couple of streets up. And uh, so, like, we had four professional brewers living within two blocks, but all of our breweries were, you know, Flying right. Dog and a little further out into the county. Um, and now, all of a sudden, right there, that that whole neighborhood is just blown up. And it's I think it's Oscars, the ale house that's yeah. opening. Mm-hmm. So you'll have uh, Family Meal, Oscars, 
and two breweries all so yep. you have four places with serious beer all that you could throw a golf ball between it's pretty yeah that's exciting. how i was talking to and um, old mother will be two blocks over yep. on sixth I, I was talking to um the guys at rockwell and like that oscars opening is going to do phenomenal things for them because i mean the type of people are going to want to go there and have a, a a beer or the same kind of people who are going to want to stop off at a brewery that's right next door also i i think so i think that i i think that breweries i mean loudon county has 24 and six more on the way and that i think breweries unlike say coffee shops yeah they, lots of them yeah, in one you place doesn't matter you don't have one cup of coffee and then or you have one cup of coffee you don't have one beer yeah, you don't stop at a you don't I think go they help coffee each shop other. hopping that if you think about <laughs> Georgetown has 200 restaurants, and the reason is you drive to Georgetown, and you're like, we can just walk and find a place. And I think that they will all help each other, and it will yeah. be tremendous. And East Street in the last five years has gone from a place where you had to explain to your wife or husband why you got a speeding ticket on – what were you doing <laughs> on East Street to a pretty cool place. Yeah. So um, I asked uh, Jonathan what his favorite vanish beer is. What's your favorite vanish beer, Larry? Oh, um I don't know. Uh, like I said, I I am uh, I'm a big fan of the traditional classic styles, um, as well as uh, going into some some newer you know anti styles. Um, so it's really kind of a toss up. I mean, my go to, my daily drinker is that little four percent table beer. You know what I mean? That is that to me is is the kind of thing I can take a growler home. Uh, and drink with dinner and, and, you know, continue doing all the things I need to do at home. Um, there is dealing with two that. small children <laughs> now. It probably lowers his AB level tolerance. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm also very proud of some of the newer stuff that we've come out with. Um, the idea behind like mango smoothie, you know, here is a, um, here is a, a new England style IPA that's kind of half kettle soured, then fruited, uh, it's got an enormous uh, hop bursting uh, at the end of the boil. Um, so it's it's kind of part IPA, part fruit beer, part kettle sour. Um, and uh, and then, of course, it has lactose for that really, like, rich, yeah. creamy character to it that really just accentuates the, uh, the characters of the juice as well. Um, Others, we kind of did something similar without the kettle souring in our chai latte. Um, that is a beer that is, uh, it's a, uses sweet potatoes in the mash. It's kind of our spin on a holiday fall beer um, that, um, that uses sweet potatoes in the mash and then lactose in the boil for that creamy richness. I mean, it's, it's a latte, right? Yeah. You got to have that richness and that cream uh, quality to it. Um, but then we hit it up. We even dry spice it um, with a uh, with a chai masala, which is basically it's the spice blend that you would use in a chai tea. My wife mm-hmm. it's her favorite beer Larry's ever made, <laughs> and it's it's pretty great. Nice. Um, until you mentioned mango smoothie, I was going to tell you your your answer was wrong. The best beer you make is mango smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, uh, non-vanished beers, each of you. Which, what is your favorite non-vanished beer? Wow. Um, what's well, I'll again? go first. To yeah, yeah. Fresh <laughs> rock here, okay. Um, Stillwater beers, pretty much. Oh, just, Brian you... is like, I just think everything he does is, he's such a nice guy. 
when we were first starting, um, he came out and was super helpful. And part of his helpfulness was just having confidence. He said, you guys can totally do this. And it was, he was such a good guy. And, but also his beers are just, they're always super interesting. They're always fun. Did you have the collaboration with uh, Union Dust Rings? Yes. That was an amazing beer. But Brian is just, you know, and he's he's had such an interesting life. He was a great skateboarder, and then he was a DJ, and then started making beer. And he's just, and now he makes wine. And um, uh, was always winning Best Brewery in Maryland while he lived in Brooklyn, which is always, (laughs) he always got such a kick out of. But um, the, uh, um, I, I think with that, it's that everything he does is so different and it's always good, which from watching Larry and from being involved in it, I know it's just so difficult. It's easy to have one or two good beers and 10. It's like an album. Yeah. You, there's, there's, it's like when you yeah. used to buy music and albums. You'd have a lot of albums where you'd buy it and there'd be two good songs and 10 crappy songs. And if Brian makes an album, it's 12 good songs. And I just really admire that too. Awesome. Good answer. Yeah. I, I don't know that I can honestly pick a favorite beer. I can tell you certain ones I've been inspired by. I can tell you certain ones at a particular time. But um, like like a good playlist, honestly, um, my beer palette and my beer favorites are very wide and diverse. And each one has its own special moment. Um, I mean, my answer is pretty much close to whatever the last beer I had that I really liked. Yeah. What, you what's know, what's you your know, favorite in the last month? Last month? Um, joint, Kushwa joint. That is oh, an yeah. ama- absolutely and amazing the art, beer. And the art on the can yes. is so cool. Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, that's uh, I was brewing a beer with uh, Old Mother this morning, which will be my favorite beer in December. Um, is it going to be called Spliff? No. Should <laughs> have. <laughs> no, it's going to be. Uh, it's called Quadruple Dry Hopped Bandwagon IPA with lactose, and. We I saved one can of joint to have with Keith while we were brewing that, and man, the, the Kushwa is making some amazing beer also. They, they, yeah, they absolutely are. And I can't remember when it was last. And I mean, mango smoothie in there somewhere because I really do love mango smoothie. <laughs> and, and I think for me, the I mean Maryland, the real the uh the my favorites i've had this year were burley burley and beers. when we're done recording i'll be heading over to get some of the burley oak dream that white rabbit's tapping at three o'clock which one are they doing the blueberry strawberry Mm -hmm. one i was sad i saw they're they're doing that i'm uh driving down to richmond so i'm Get, but I'm going to be at the Vale tomorrow morning, so I'm excited. Okay. To, so it's worth it. It's a consolation, but good that, consolation um, prize. That they're, the Tuesdays at White Rabbit, they have some pretty amazing beers. Yeah. And to, this Tuesday is going to be fantastic. And the U, um, Union's Old Pro Tea Times, th- those have been one of my fa- consistently mm-hmm. favorite beers of this year. And then um, what is the worst review you've ever received? I'll go Larry. So um, uh, um, we have um, Advantage. We have um, we have barbecue and we have pizza um, that are they're brought in, but they're sold there. And um, we uh, um, uh, we had a review where someone wrote that um, I came there and I wanted to enjoy barbecue and beer, and I had to wait in line in both places. And I'm not going to spend my money to place where I have to wait in line. 
these people need to learn how to run a brewery and how to run a restaurant. <laughs> and I, I how do you answer I, I was, that? <laughs> I, I mean, that was the one that hurt the most. It's like I never want yeah. people to be in a line, but uh, I mean, I don't know. When I was there, it was packed I, and there was a line. But it moved fast. But it, I feel it wasn't like, long enough to so complain about. On a, on, a, on a Saturday, we have between eight hundred and a thousand people, yeah. and our our goal is that the lines are as short as possible, and we work through them as quickly as possible. But in some ways, I look at it kind of like a doctor. If I need to go see a doctor and I want an appointment, he says, "I can see you right now." I'm like, "Well, that's a little bit scary." Yeah. So yeah. I think that, but that we work really hard on the lines. But when they said that, I just thought, okay. Because I always try and police someone. If they have a complaint, what can we do to make your ex- yeah. fix your experience? And I thought, I just can't fix yeah. this experience. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Larry? I, I honestly, I can't. Uh, I can't even think of anything. I'm just drawing a blank. Well, I'll say uh, one thing. Uh, I remember, Larry, one person posted, I went there, I tried all 18 beers, and none of them are any good. Yeah. <laughs> I said, all right, Larry, that must be an ex-girlfriend because who could hate <laughs> all 18 beers and say they're all terrible yeah. and drink them all? My, my favorite <laughs> is like when you see someone reviewing an IPA and then they're like, they'll rate it a one and be like, I don't like IPAs. No. Well, then well, why are you rating it? Right. Like a review. That's, that's where yeah. I mean, I, I, I see some things yeah. here and there, but I mean, I don't really pay it much attention. Um, it, it's one of those things where if you say, oh, this isn't this isn't for me, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, or, you know, give it a low rating, et cetera. It, you know, well, no, they, I, I'm, I, I, yeah, those ones I understand. But I mean, I mean, people who like they know they don't like something, but they oh, yeah. try it. Just I hate it Indian food. And boy, I hated that no. Indian yeah. restaurant. Right. <laughs> well, okay. You know, I mean, I think one of the things that we have an extremely large and diverse menu, uh, large portfolio of beers. And, you know, one of the one of our claims to fame, so to speak, is that big 12 taster mega flight. Yes. You know, <laughs> that's so the iconic thing when yeah. people go there and they get these great big blocks of beer and it's 12 five ounce samples. And, um, you know, that's what people go there to get. My goal is to have something on that menu for every single person. And for the bulk of folks, they, they come out and they go, you know, we really like this. We really like this. There is something up there for everybody, but not everything on that menu is going to be for you. Yeah. So there's going to be something that somebody can go, well, you know, this is not my style. Or they might say, oh, yuck, you know, like my four-year-old. and It's disgusting. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's not – it's – it's subjective, and um, you know we 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 feel like we do a pretty good job and try to have something there for everybody. Yeah. I've just started asking because there, there just have been a, a couple of breweries we've had on have just had hilarious bad reviews, and the one I always bring up, and my favorite one is the one that Old Mother got that they said started out with, "Have you ever been someplace you just know isn't going to be around in a year?" Oh, so, and then uh, Gunda had an amazing bad review where it was just like completely fabricated. Some guy from Ohio who was mad because they made a beer making fun of Trump gave them a bad review, just making up the experience completely. So it's, sure, <laughs> and it, it's funny that um, because before I I did this, being in restaurants and bars, you're really a slave to Yelp reviews. Yeah. And so Yelp, you just have the most absolutely vicious reviews, you know, and a lot of it's because they knew they'd say, I'm, I'm writing a review for Yelp. Can I have a free appetizer? And you're like, OK, yeah. great. Yeah. All right. And, it, yeah. 
it took me a minute to to bring it back, but there was particularly one. Okay, that I gotta <laughs> share. I gotta share. You might that might I don't know if you remembered this. Maybe you you uh, spawned the question. I'm not sure, but uh, um, okay. So when we first opened up, we made a style of beer that's a traditional Norse style called a sati. Okay. And it traditionally is made with juniper branches and the, and in fermented in a hollowed juniper log. And no hops, so, right? Exactly, no, no hops. hops. It's essentially a gruit. Um, so we did a version with juniper branches that were harvested right there on the property. It was amazingly interesting. <laughs> um, it, big, big notes of pine, citrus right up front, but in the back end it had this very, very like – like I've just gnawed, I'm I'm beaver today, you know what I mean? Like I've just gnawed on a tree branch, um, had a very resinous finish to it. Somebody posted on um, on Untapped uh, saying, "This is what the Knights of Knee were looking for." <laughs> Spawn this whole great big wrong, you know, running joke about shrubbery. So nice. See, those are the kinds of answers I'm looking for. <laughs> You know, on the flights, it was a funny Frederick connection on that. We had four and six flights, like you normally, every other brewery does. And um, I was in Great Stuff by Paul on East Street. And I said, you know, we're trying to figure out this something weird to do our flights in. And Paul said, hey, um, I have these Mexican sugar molds that we've been using for candles. And so he showed it to me, and I I – ran up ran home and got a taster and brought it back and it fit and so we came back and i said we're gonna buy one just to taste it it's so crazy to try it there's 12 beers who would buy a 12 beer flight a lot of people and (laughs) it went crazy so then i called paul and said okay how many do you have he said i have 15 need more and i said okay i'll take them all and then i said but we need more and um the uh uh we're Paul is diligently searching for more. Um, <laughs> however, he then came and said, and my wife was talking to him. She said, "What can we do that's even bigger?" So we now have a twenty-four beer flight, Jeez. which so we have a mega flight and then it's a giga flight, and we sell five or six of those a weekend, um, and that's twenty-four <laughs> five-ounce pours. <laughs> I don't think anyone's done that just by themselves yet. Yeah. I would hope not. But at least. Um, the uh, um, it's, I think it's the biggest flight I've ever heard of. But yeah, you have to drink I've, it fast because it'll get warm. Yeah. I mean, most places, it's like five. So it, your normal flight. And so now. we create that by then creating six beer cocktails. Oh. Cool. And so you, you know, like a beer mosa. Yeah. And so it's tw- it's 18 beers and six beer cocktails. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so we're, we're, bump- we're getting close to when you need to head out and hit the road. Is there anything coming up at Vanish that you want to talk about and uh, give a heads up for for people to look out? Well, this weekend we have our um, Beaujolais Nouveau Festival, which is um, in our pavilion down by the uh, lake. We have um, – so it's French food, French food trucks, uh, French wines, obviously, and, and beer. Um, it's separate from the brewery. Um, and then we'll be doing a um, – uh, next year, we're going to be doing a beer and wine festival for different countries every two months. So we're going to do uh-huh. Britain, which actually has really good wines now, uh, global warming, <laughs> and uh, uh, France, 
uh, Spain, Portugal, Italy. But part of that is getting people to realize there's more to the beers of those countries than just – there's more to Italian beer than just Peroni. Mm -hmm. And that getting – same with French beer and Spanish beer. So using it as an opportunity to, to, to expand people's idea of what those beers are, are like. Um, we're waiting for our federal approval. Um, we're going to be opening a winery that will be connected to the brewery. Uh, I was just about to ask you um, if you had any plan. You already uh, you have part of the trifecta, we're, so you're going to close we're waiting, it out? We're waiting for our, our, our federal approvals. Awesome. Um, and uh, we're really excited about the idea of um, exploring the sort of connections. That they're, they're Obviously, they're different licenses, but you'll be able to drink wine and beer in both parts and walk back and forth. But the idea of what what kind of wines we can create when we start from the brew side as opposed to the wine side. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited about that. And that'll be ciders as well. Will you be, is, are you going to be involved with the winemaking? Yeah, is yeah. Awesome? My, my whole team will be working. Hey, he's bigger, than, and, he's bigger than me. He'll yeah. decide. <laughs> and, but, yes, that we're, not going, we're not trying to create a winery in the sense okay. of a traditional winery. We're saying, what would a winery be like if it was – coming from the mindset of a brewer and that is that a trend that's slowly starting to take hold in wine or i think someone told me recently like there are like slowly wineries starting to step outside of the like the normal types of wine oh sure sure and i mean if you think about our our close friends uh doug fabioli fabioli sellers right up the street from us you know he's he's gotten into uh well uh wines that also use fruit so he has a a, a peri um that is blended with a chardonnay um then he also uh has several different fruited wines several uh he has a cider that's hopped a uh, hopped cider um you know kind of kind of moving on and making a little more hybrids with different fruits other than just your traditional uh, grapes and so our idea is a, a winery that isn't sort of a um you go in and there's this row of tastings and they're t it's it's more like a brewery where it's fun and you yeah. can learn about the, the wines that you're drinking if you choose to or you can just say this is delicious i want another one of these maybe i'll be able to find the first wine that i enjoy there well, <laughs> well we will try that challenge with you um the uh, uh but a lot for us again it's part of the guest experience you have a group of people six eight twelve people some of them prefer wine to beer and so you can see this sort of you have this tug of war with people and that after you visit a winery you come to a brewery there's not really anything for the wine person at the brewery yeah so the idea is not that you'd come here instead of the wineries that are around us like big cork and tarara and fabioli it's that after you go to a winery or before you go to a winery the person with you who likes wine has something they can drink yeah in the interim well, thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time to come on. Sure. Um, Thanks for having us. Uh, it's been great. I, I wish we would have been able to hit more of these because these two are um, amazing. This it, in for a 4% beer, which you typically don't have, like it's it, you. I think you may have said it before. It's amazingly flavorful. It yeah. is full of flavors Thanks. and way more complex than you would expect from four a uh, four percent abv beer it, it's, it's just a, it's in a balance beer like typically with... if it's that low and there's a lot of flavors it's because it's way out of balance but mm -hmm. this is just complex and very flavorful yeah. i've always i've always enjoyed uh 
the science of beer, but I've really enjoyed making uh, strong flavors, but with low ABV. I'm just a personal thing for me, um, you know, that I, I like to drink a lot and I like to drink yeah, all day. I, I agree with you. <laughs> so, so um, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you everyone for uh, watching and listening. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.